I'm Father Ron Shipley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to episode 43 in the fourth edition of the AIC Bible Study video series, The New Testament Gospels. At the end of the episode, I'll point out where material in this episode appears in the AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of John, annotated and illustrated. In this episode, I continue with part five of seven in a discussion of unique themes, details, and events in the Gospel of St. John. With this episode, I begin discussion of other unique details which are found only in the Gospel of St. John. I will begin with larger details, including the plotting of the Pharisees and chief priests, the announcement of the new commandment, and the meaning of the word abide, Jesus' final discourse with the disciples, the lack of an agony in the garden scene, Jesus' references to the Son of Man being lifted up and to the divine economy, and finally conclude with several small but still interesting details, including part one of two in a discussion of Jesus' reference to concepts of time. The illustration, John writing his gospel, is an illumination in tempera and gold on parchment from a gospel book made for liturgical use at Constantinople around 1285 A.D. from manuscript Bernie 20, folio 226V, British Library, London, England. I have applied perspective correction to the original image. Only John reports the plotting of the Pharisees and chief priests called the Sanhedrin Council, which met to plot Jesus' death. The time is 30 A.D. after the raising of Lazarus, discussed in episode 38, but before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, discussed in episode 4 in the context of St. Matthew's theme of fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The location is the precincts in and around the temple at Jerusalem. Those present were the high priest Caiaphas, other high priests, and the Pharisees. The illustration, Conspiracy of the Jews, is another opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper painted between 1886 and 1894 by James T. from the collection at the Brooklyn Museum, Brooklyn, New York. Caiaphas is named only in the Gospel of St. John. Also unique in St. John's account is Caiaphas' prophecy of the death of Jesus in verse 49b and 50. You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Bible scholars explain that Caiaphas likely meant that the death of Jesus would assuage the Roman Empire. St. John explains in his own narrative in verses 51b and 52 that Jesus would, quote, not die for that nation only, but also gather together the children of God who were scattered abroad. Only St. John in verses 53 and 54 refers to Jesus' withdrawal from public view among the Jews and also to where he went. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, 
and there remained with his disciples. St. John's frequent use of the phrase the Jews and its several different meanings is discussed in episode 40. Only St. John in John 13 verses 31 to 35 records Jesus' statement concerning a new commandment. The time is Monday Thursday after Judas Iscariot had left the Last Supper to betray Jesus and Jesus' prophecy of St. Peter's three denials. The location is the upper room at Jerusalem. The audience is the remaining disciples. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word for love is once again the Greek agapao, as in Jesus' first two questions asked of St. Peter, discussed in episode 41, in the context of the restoration of St. Peter. This kind of love is often not properly understood in the Western Church. It does not mean sexual love or lust, or even brotherly love, or even familial love, but a transcending kind of love, that is, the unqualified love God showed for his creation in sending his only begotten Son. John also used the same word, plus its variant agape, many times in his first and second epistles. The illustration, Christ Pantocrator, is a temporary and gold-on-panel icon, traditionally said to be the oldest surviving icon of Christ and to have been commissioned by the Byzantine Emperor Justinian for the Monastery of St. Catherine, Sinai, Egypt, where it remains today. This new language based on concepts of love appear again in John 15, verses 9 to 17, from which verses 9, 10, 12, and 13 are extracted. Jesus here uses another important word in Christian theology, abide, from the Greek meno. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment, and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Here the Greek words for love are once again agapao and agape. Here, abide is from the Greek meno, which most often has a spiritual rather than a literal meaning. That is, that the teachings of Jesus Christ, that is, the command, his commandments, should abide in the hearts of the faithful. The KJV text often translates the Greek meno as dwelleth. St. John explores the meaning more extensively in 1 John 4, verses 12 to 16. Other content includes a prophecy of his own death and allusions to the human side of Jesus being one of his two natures. The theme appears again in a different context in John 17, verses 22 and 23. 
And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. The next detail is about something that does not happen in the Gospel of St. John. References made in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew 26, 30 and 36 to 46, Mark 14, 26, and again in 32 to 42, and Luke 22, verses 39 to 46, to what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Of the period of prayer and emotional distress described in the Synoptics, and which is the source of the reference by thy bloody sweat in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, St. John tells us nothing. John refers to the same period in one sentence in John 18, verse 1, saying, He went with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where there was a garden in which he and his disciples entered. The illustration for this and the remaining slides in this sequence is a 13th century mosaic Christ Pantocrator in the South Gallery at the Hagia Sophia, Constantinople, now Istanbul, Turkey. Instead, before recounting the visit to the garden in 18.1, St. John reports events in chapter 14 through 17 which include the series of prayers and pronouncements that are generally known as Jesus' final discourse with the disciples. These are not found in any other gospel. In St. John's account, there is nothing of the drama described in the garden in the synoptics. John writes of Jesus speaking of many ideas which would become Christian doctrine, the proclamation of Two of the final three I am sayings, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me in 14.6, and I am the true vine in 15.1, which I discussed in episodes 35 and 40, respectively. His announcement of the coming of and the work of the Holy Spirit in John 14, verses 15 to 17, John 16, verses 5 to 15, his foretelling of the ascension in John 16, verse 16 to 33, and a set of prayers called the high priestly prayers in the Eastern Church, including his prayer for himself in John 17, 1 to 5, his prayer for the apostles in 17, 6 to 19, for the future church in 20 to 23, and finally for all others in verses 24 to 26. The next group of unique details is not about great declarations, but about small details. In most of these occasions, St. John delivers a spiritual message. These verses include several references to the Son of Man being, quote, lifted up. Jesus' references to concepts of time, mentions of the devil or Satan, of the Father's plan for mankind known as the divine economy, and also touch again upon other themes referred to in previous episodes, including the contrast between light and darkness, truth and falsehood, good and evil in episode 40, and the relationship between the Father and the Son 
in episode 41. The illustration is John writing his gospel, an illumination in temperer and gold leaf on vellum, attributed to the Rohan Master from the Rohan Hours, published at Paris between 1415 and 1416. Twice in his gospel, St. John quotes Jesus referring to the Son of Man as being lifted up. These are prophecies of his death upon the cross and indirectly of his ascension to the Father. The first example in John 3, verses 14 and 15, part of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, discussed in episode 44, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There are several key concepts in St. John's account. The first is prophecy, both of Jesus' own death upon the cross and later his ascension to the Father. The connection St. John makes to everlasting life is different, more spiritual-minded, and more deeply grounded in the original Greek text than the other three gospel authors suggest. Only St. John in 1 John 2 Verses 1 and 2a refers to Jesus' death upon the cross as a propitiation, one of the comfortable words in the Anglican Communion Liturgy. St. John's phrase is read in that liturgy following the confession and absolution and before the Sanctus prayers. You will find an extended discussion of the word propitiation and the related term ransom and why atonement and expiation used in some Bible translations miss much of St. John's intended meaning. And you'll find that in the propitiation entry on pages 176 through 178 in the AIC bookstore publication, Layman's Lexicon. The concept of being lifted up will be mentioned again in the discussion of Jesus' use of concepts of time. Jesus uses the phrase a second time in John 8, verse 28, part of the I am the light of the world declaration discussed in episode 31 and 32, and once again clarifying the relationship between the Father and the Son discussed in episode 41. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. The next topic is Jesus' use of words which in modern English are translated in reference to time. These often left his listeners confused. Throughout St. John's Gospel, Jesus' reference to concepts of time were not understood either by the general audiences who followed him or even by the apostles. The most frequently used of these words are hour, a little while, and time, but only hour is discussed in this episode with the remaining words discussed in episode 44. These nonspecific concepts of time are often difficult to grasp for modern people. I think that is because we forget that mechanical clocks were not invented for another 14 centuries in Western Europe, primarily by Dutch inventors in the 14th 
and 15th century AD. Without timepieces, or clocks, or watches as we might call them, people in the Old Testament era and in the first century AD thought of and expressed time in reference not in hours, minutes, days, weeks, or even years, but by relating them to the memory of the one who ruled at a particular time. These periods were called ages. In Hebrew, they are often referred to as ever, as in forever and ever. In the Byzantine style, still followed in the Eastern Church, the concept is a little easier to understand because instead of ever and ever, the phrase is ages of ages. Note that until modern times, forever was two words and not one. One of the most famous scriptural examples is the manner in which the prophet Isaiah gave readers an idea of time in his vision of the throne of God. He wrote in Isaiah 6.1, In the year King Uzziah died. Note that he did not say X number of years ago or cite a specific year. While temple priests may have known what the Hebrew year meant, the average person had no concept of it. The first concept used by Jesus to convey the idea of time is hour from the Greek hora, which can mean a moment, as in first hour. The modern equivalent is 6 a.m. or sunrise, or ninth hour, which in modern times is noon. It sometimes meant an unspecified day or event. In other uses in the Gospel of St. John, it is translated as time. It does not mean a period of 60 minutes. Jesus uses the word hora or hour 21 times in the King James Version of the Gospel of St. John as calculated in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. In the Gospel of St. John, Jesus uses hour to suggest inevitability, but leaves its actual timing unspecified. In the first miracle or sign, as John called them, from the Greek Samian at Cana in Galilee, Jesus says to the Blessed Virgin Mary in John 2, verse 4, My hour has not yet come. The illustration throughout this segment, Christ Pantocrator, is the central detail in a mosaic installed between 1143 and 1151 A.D. at La Martirana Church in Palermo, Sicily. In the original, St. Peter stands at left and St. Paul at right. La Martirana, like many of the Byzantine-style structures on Sicily, was built during the reign of Roger II, the first Norman king of Sicily. The most quoted use of the same phrases is found in John 4, verses 23 and 24. The significance of it is not explained until chapter 12, 14, and 20. It occurs in the conversation between the Samaritan woman, or St. Photina, at the well of Jacob, which I discussed in episode 29 in the context of the first I Am declaration. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father 
in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The first sentence, the hour is coming and now is, is an opening sentence in Anglican morning prayer. Here, hour increases the sense of anticipation. Is it imminent? Is it immediate? In Christian theology, the hour of his coming again is always considered imminent, which means it could be right now, tomorrow, or an unknown later date, calculated in God's time, not man's time, tied to a 24-hour clock. Traditional teaching is that one should not attempt to calculate the hour or the moment, but always be ready. The second sentence, which is verse 24, includes a statement that is one of the reasons the Eastern Church designated St. John as John the theologian, when he says, God is spirit, in verse 24a. Some modern translations incorrectly convey St. John's meaning by rendering it as God is a spirit. As Eastern Church scholars suggest, the reference is to the energy or energies of God, which is the way in which humanity, quote, sees, unquote, the invisible God, consistent with God's statement to Moses in Exodus 33:20, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Some examples from the Old Testament and the New Testament support the Eastern Church view. The voice from the burning bush, the pillar of fire which accompanied the Hebrew people in the wilderness, frequent incidents of lightning and thunder, the voice from heaven at the baptism of Christ and at the transfiguration, and finally, recorded in the synoptic gospels, the trembling of the earth, the darkness at noon, and the rending of the veil in the temple at the crucifixion. I suggest that in St. John's Gospel account, he was being faithful to the early church prohibition against depictions of God the Father in human form. This rule was not broken until the Renaissance in Michelangelo's depiction of God the Father in St. Peter's Basilica, Rome. Such depictions of God the Father are still forbidden in the Eastern Church, which permits icons which show and other art which show Jesus, since mankind literally did see Jesus as a man. The illustration for this sequence, used in several previous episodes, suggests a way around the prohibition. It is called God the Father and God the Son, an illumination in colored inks and gold on parchment from an Oxford Psalter from the early 13th century. Based upon John 14.9, the phrase, He who has seen me has seen the Father, the artist depicts the Father as the image of the Son. The illumination is from Royal 1D10, Folio 98, British Library, London, England. Another use of hora, hour, occurs in John 12, verses 27 and 28a, another dialogue with the Pharisees after the entry 
into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Jesus asks a hypothetical question to which he offers an explanation that includes a prophecy of the fate that awaits him less than one week in the future. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Immediately afterward, a voice thundered from heaven, another example or the energy or energies of God, and was heard by all, recorded by St. John in verse 28b, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. In verse 30 and 31, Jesus explains that the voice did not come for him. St. John's narration in verse 29b records that the listeners thought it was the voice of an angel. In this exchange, Jesus returns again to the lifted up language spoken earlier in St. John's Gospel and introduces another new term, ruler of this world. The voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The phrase ruler of this world is a reference to Satan. By his being lifted up or dying a human death upon the cross, his personal ransom for the sins of mankind since Adam and Eve and his yet-to-come resurrection, he overturns Satan's hold on this world, signifying that death, in the human sense, is no longer the end. St. John's interpretation in his first epistle, 1 John 2 verses 1 and 2a, is read as the last of the comfortable words in Anglican Holy Eucharist. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Much later in St. John's Gospel, in John 16, verse 32 and 17, 1, on the evening of Monday, Thursday, before Judas's betrayal and before his arrest in the final, and before the final address to the disciples, which I discussed earlier, the hora or hour references become more specific and suggest immediacy. John 16:32. Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. This is followed in the next chapter in the first verse of the Jesus prayer for himself in John 17, verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. My discussion of concepts of time used by Jesus continues in episode 44. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode and available at our website, where you'll find Christian education videos linked from the digital library page, Bible study videos from the Bible study page, podcasts from the podcast archive page, and where AIC bookstore publications can be obtained through the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the home page. Items of interest for episode 43 are... 
from the lives of the saints from the first series. St. John is the focus of episode 4, Mark of 7, and Matthew of 14, and St. Luke of episode 15. In the AIC seasonal video series, The Twelve Days of Christmas, each of the several Greek words which are translated in the Western versions of the Bible as love are the subject of the episode for first day of Christmas, December 25th. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, The Gospel of John, Annotated and Illustrated, topics discussed in this episode are found in chapters 3, 4, 8, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, including the Sanhedrin plot and the high priestly prayer illustrated on page 137. From Layman's Lexicon, words and phrases of interest are comfortable words, commandments, energy slash energies of God, Monday Thursday, offices, Pantocrator, Pharisees, Propitiation, Satan, Second Coming, Son of Man, Spirit, Synoptic Gospels, and finally, Transfiguration. In the writing prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, including his vision of the throne of God, is discussed and illustrated on pages 13 to 20. In Hear Us, O Lord, Daily Prayers for the Laity, the complete text of offices for first hour, third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, plus Vespers and Compline are found on pages 13 to 20. In Christian spirituality and Anglican perspective, the concept of, way, of ways to, quote, see, unquote, the face of the invisible God is discussed in part two. And finally, there's Father Ron's blog, accessible using links at the top and the bottom of the home page or by using the direct URL address www.anglicaninternetchurch.net right slash blog with blog spelled in lowercase letters only. Further, by clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend in the right-hand column and afterward entering your email address, you can register to receive notice of each new posting from our website host, wordpress.com. Please be assured that we do not share email addresses or other information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for episode 43. Next time, in episode 44, I continue with part 6 of 7 in Unique Themes, Details, and Events, continuing with more examples of Jesus' use of concepts of time, and the first of five examples of unique events in the Gospel of St. John. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.